0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe O'Rico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter, at Orico 99 That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O 99. All of my fantasy baseball content goes out there, whether it be these podcasts, my articles, different stuff I pull together on Twitter. Everything is in one place, so please do go check me out over on the Bird app. What we will be doing today is pretty standard for us. We'll look back on some of yesterday's top performers. We will look at one or two pieces of news as well from yesterday, something in particular that is not the greatest, but we will talk about that in a minute. We will also go through the waiver wire. We'll talk about who's being added and who's being dropped across fantasy baseball today. We will look at two-star pitchers for the week. There are a couple I have in mind. Pretty much everybody is either in their playoffs or this is the last week of the regular season. There are a couple of you that might go right till the end of the regular season, but pretty much this is crunch time. That We are officially there. Most of my leagues are starting playoffs today. There are, I think, two of them where we start next week, and I think maybe one of them that goes all the way till the end of the season. But regardless of where you are exactly, uh, these pickups, especially these 2 start pitchers, can be really important this time of year. So we will go through that as well, and I'll also give you guys my matchup of the night. I think we only have eight games tonight, so there's not a hell of a lot to choose from. But we'll still talk about one or two games that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Let's start first off with that news before we actually go into yesterday's top performers. Justin Verlander left his start yesterday after three innings with some calf discomfort. This is obviously not what you want to hear if you're a Verlander manager at this point of the season. He had thrown three innings, gave up three hits, walked one and struck out six. He was looking very sharp and then he had to leave unfortunately. Now, how long he's going to be out is really anybody's guess. If he's going to miss one start, maybe, who knows. Uh, Dusty Baker said he'll go uh, undergo imaging on Monday, which will determine the extent. Not sure. I mean, at least, like it says here in, in this article, quoting Dusty Baker, at least it's not anything with his arm or his elbow, shoulder, anything like that. It's not like he's going to have to work his way back up. Assuming he doesn't have to miss too much time, this is something that he can still throw with, you figure. Um, so... Am I worried? Yes, of course I'm worried. Justin Verlander is 39 years old, and this is the most important time of the fantasy season. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't drop him. Uh, He might just miss a couple of weeks, and it's it's ridiculous, I know. But if they say he's out for four weeks or something, uh, very unlikely, but then you would have to drop him, unfortunately, in most cases, Right now, you just kind of have to hold out and hope for the best. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. I do want to address it, but at the same time, like, what are you going to do, really? Uh, you just kind of have to wait, try and find some great replacement pitchers. Maybe, possibly, he goes on the IL for a 15-day stint, and then you can put him on your injured list or put him on the bench and hope that he comes back quickly. There's, there's really nothing actionable you can do right now other than just wait and maybe say a prayer, hope for the best. But right now... The door may be open a little bit for maybe uh, McClanahan or Cease if Verlander is out for the rest of the season. This is I, I have no idea how long he's going to be out for. But even if he has to miss a few weeks, that recency bias at the end of the season can really play a huge factor in awards voting. Uh, last year with the Cy Young, Robbie Ray was definitely in contention for the last little bit of the season, but he clinched it there in those last few outings. So we see a couple of really strong outings from either McClanahan or Cease combined with Verlander sitting we might see one of those guys sneak up and win the Cy Young still. I talked about last week how I'm pretty sure it's going to be Verlander regardless at this point, but injuries change everything. If he's out for one start and comes back, then it's probably not going to be a big deal. It likely will mean nothing. But if he has to miss two, three, four starts here in September, that might be where people start to go back and think about McClanahan or Dylan Cease. McClanahan for the whole year, really, I think he could make a a stronger case than Cease. But either one of them, I think, has a decent little chance here, assuming that Verlander does have to miss some time. Like I said, nothing we can do. Let's move on from that one and just cross our fingers and hope for the best. And we'll talk about Isak Paredes. He went two for two yesterday. He had a couple of home runs. He also walked three times, scored three times, and drove in three runs. Now, Paredes, there was a couple of, I guess it was maybe a month ago now-ish, where he was one of the hottest pickups in all of baseball Seemed like he was hitting home runs every day. There was a three-home run game against the Yankees. And recently, yeah, he's hit four home runs here over the last week or so. I just worry about a player who's that streaky at this time of the season when you really need, I've said this a bunch of times, but you can't be having zeros. You can't be having players who are just barely contributing or platooning or what have you. So, yes, there's been four home runs going back to August the 23rd. Before August the 23rd, the last home run that he hit was July 26th. And in that span in the middle there, there was a few hits, a few little bits of change here and there, runs and RBIs. But he really wasn't that valuable, and he was dropped by most people uh, in various formats. He is eligible at first, second, and third base, which is definitely something to consider. He's definitely got that eligibility across the infield that is pretty rare. You don't usually see that. But I'm just thinking this time of year, you've got to go for someone who has maybe done it for either a little bit longer or has a bit of a higher floor than, than Paredes, because his floor is really low. There can be stretches where he's giving you just no production, and I'm not really willing to take a chance on it outside of deeper leagues. If there's a 15-team league you want to take a chance on him, it's probably not going to burn you too bad. In 15-teamers, there's usually one or two guys who are pretty unremarkable. You maybe want to use those spots just for someone who has some potential. There's potential with Paredes, no no doubt, this season. He has 18 home runs and 258 at-bats. For a full season, that's a 35-ish home run pace. I like it. I just don't know that we can expect over these last, what is it, five weeks, that we can really expect him to produce in all of them. The likeliest outcome that I can see for Paredes is probably five-ish home runs spread out over these last few weeks with poor batting average, no steals. He's just not somebody that I'm really going to be too interested in. In a deeper league, maybe, but I'm trying to get somebody with a higher floor here if I can. And I think there are definitely people out there who do have a higher floor. And we'll talk about a couple of them later when we go through our ads and drops today. But let's keep it going with Herman Marquez. He's been somebody who I think has been pretty undervalued, specifically just because he plays a course field. Yesterday he had a great outing against the Mets. He went seven strong, got the victory, only allowed one hit, walked two batters, and struck out five. That's not what you would have expected going in from Herman Marquez against the Mets. Uh, very rarely, I think, or probably not too many people, I should say, would have streamed him in for yesterday. His ERA for the season is not great. It's at 497. But I think the key thing with Marquez is you have to look at the home and away splits. At home, he has a 609 ERA, and he's given up 17 home runs. On the road, he has a 369 ERA. He's given up six home runs. 308 batting average against at home. 2.15 on the road. Everything, it's, it's the Coors effect with him. It really is. Now, is he a great pitcher, Herman Marquez? No. By no stretch of anybody's imagination, is he a great pitcher. But he spent his entire career pitching at Coors Field, which is definitely going to lower your estimation of somebody. We saw it with John Gray, what happened to him once he finally left. I would keep Marquez in mind whenever you need a streamer, especially now at Coors, we just went over this. Coors is not going to be great, but anytime he's on the road, I th- I would really give him a strong look. There's usually probably going to be somebody that you'd prefer over him, but depending on the depth of your league, Marquez might be the best guy available and you might just look at him and say, "Oh, he's got a 5 ERA. Uh, you know, it's not as bad as it might look." Yes, the core starts are not attractive, but whenever he gets out of Colorado, that would be Something that I would take a look at here, and in future years, if he's ever able to leave the rock, uh, the Rockies. I'm not sure about his contract situation, but he'd definitely be someone I'd look at. Not in the same light necessarily as John Gray, but someone who I think would definitely be a lot better away from Coors. It pretty much is a blanket statement that can apply to anybody, but it's definitely something I would uh, I would look at with him there. Let's talk about Nico Horner. He's still somebody who is a bit undervalued somehow. He's been playing regularly, and he's been producing in five categories now for a good little while. He's still only 48% rostered over on Yahoo. He had a home run yesterday. He stole a base the day before. And over the last couple of weeks, he's only batting 231. Fair. But he's batting 293 for the season and 400 at bats. That's no small sample size. He's got eight home runs where he's, I think it's been two years before this year where he had not hit any. But eight home runs. 15 steals, a 293 batting average. He's giving you some runs and some RBIs, usually in the middle of that uh, Cubs lineup. Sometimes he uh, sneaks his way up to second. Sometimes he's fifth. He's been fourth recently as well. He's always going to be in that upper half of the lineup. And he's been giving you great production with eligibility at second and short. So I don't know why he's still available in more than half of leagues. I would be scooping him up for a replacement for a lot of different people. Like If you're debating between Paredes and Horner, I would absolutely go with Horner or Herner. Jesus, I'm mispronouncing his name. I hadn't done that in a while here. I've been pretty good with that for, I don't know, I guess these last few weeks, maybe a month, it seems like I haven't been mispronouncing names. Earlier in the season, I was really bad. There were some names or guys that had just been called up and especially some you know long names, six-syllable, kind of five-syllable names. I'm known to butcher them, but uh, it's been pretty good. I wouldn't think Nico Horner would be the one that would have got me, but... It is Monday. We are still uh, easing into the week here. So last thought on Horner. Really, he should not be available in any league, let alone more than half. But that's, I don't know. I've been saying this for a long time with Nico Horner. I think there's just people are not interested because they don't think the power is legit or they don't like the Cubs lineup, which are both fair points. But he's been doing it for, like I said, 400 at-bats now. It's not like this is a two-week hot streak. He's been pretty good. Not always the hottest hitter but he gives you a pretty consistent uh, baseline production in five categories. That's not something that you can just write off. Let's talk quickly for a second here about Patrick Corbin. He had a very good game yesterday. Six innings, he gave up four hits, one earned run. He struck out five. And yes, Patrick Corbin is never going to be an option. I wonder how many people took a chance on streaming him in yesterday and actually won their week because of it. Those would be people who are... Man, there's two ways you can look at it, I guess. They're either like insane people, because it, this is the important time of year. You might have been yesterday, might have been your uh, first knockout Sunday of the year. And I'm sure there's some people who streamed in Patrick Corbin and won their week because of it. Most people, I would have stayed the hell away, and most people would have, but he <laughs> could have been a league winner for you yesterday. Not, not a league winner, but a week winner on your way to possibly being a, a league winner. So. Pretty funny stuff out of Patrick Corbin there. His ERA is still 6'5'6. Uh, whip is 17'6. There's obviously no move to be made here. I just thought it was really funny that on, a, on the first elimination Sunday of the year, who is the hero for some people but Patrick Frickin' Corbin? Really funny stuff there. Let's talk about Lars Nupar, who has become one of my favorite pickups of the second half, and he should be one of your favorite pickups as well. He had another home run yesterday. Over the last month, 21 runs scored, 13 runs driven in, four homers, two steals, and a two eighty-nine batting average. The guy is walking at a crazy high rate. He's been leading off every game. There were times when, he's facing, or when they are facing left-handed pitching where he'll bat ninth, but he's been batting first six games in a row here. He is in a great lineup, obviously, in St. Louis. There's a ton of protection around him between Edmund and Goldschmidt and Arenado and Tyler O'Neal. Hopefully, we can start to see him uh, producing a little bit more regularly. But Newtbar is not somebody that I'd be wanting to leave on waivers pretty much anywhere at this point. Three outfield, five outfield, maybe a 10-team, three outfield league, you're not going to do it. But even then, like, you could make a strong argument for it. That five-category production at this point of the year. Now, I talked about yesterday. There are some guys who you should be cutting off of your rosters. And one of them was Marcelo Zuna, for sure. If you're still holding on to Marcelo Zuna, you need to switch him out for a guy like Nupar or like Grichuk. Um, let me just take a look at Ozuna's roster percentage, 42. It's still going down, but I mean 42%, man. Like, there's just a lot of people who aren't paying attention at this point. Let me just check on Walker Bueller. He's still at 51%. He had Tommy John a week ago, and he's still on more than 50% of rosters. Just pay attention, and you'll be able to have little advantages over your league mates because of things like that. You know, there will be some people who are just not paying attention, or maybe it was you who was maybe zoning out or not focusing for a couple weeks there or life got in the way, and you still have Walker Buehler or Ozuna or a couple of the other guys I mentioned in that article from yesterday, you need to be moving on and picking up one of these hot bats like a newt bar. I think that he is a great pickup in any format at this point of the year. Let's move on now to our waiver wire portion of the show. This is just where I talk about the most added and dropped players across fantasy baseball. The number one ad will come as no surprise to most of you, I think, and it's Corbin Carroll. He was called up or is expected to be called up today by the Diamondbacks And I'd expect him to get the start right away against the Phillies. Maybe if there's some delay or something, he'll start tomorrow. But Corbin Carroll, regardless, needs to be an ad across all fantasy formats. And you need to get on that soon because he's already jumped up 13%. He was at 18, and now he is at 31. I had him stashed in a couple of leagues where I had an NA slot, which is something that I really recommend if you are setting up leagues. NA slots are the best. You can put a prospect in there. Not taking up one of your actual roster spots and just hope that down the line they get called up. If they don't, if something happens in the minors, you just switch them out for somebody else. It doesn't really hurt your team in any way. It's just a nice little, you know, in-waiting kind of game to play. And I've played that game now with Corbin Carroll for the last month or so. I've had him stashed in a couple of leagues, including my home league, where I'm missing a couple of really important bats right now. So I'll take I'll take Corbin Carroll. Any day of the week, very happy to have him there. If you look at what he's done across the minors this season, it's pretty staggering. His slash line is 307, 425, and 611. That's just bonkers. 24 homers, 31 steals. Like, that's crazy. The the average power-steal combination, there's maybe five or ten players who can give you elite production in those three categories in all of fantasy. Corbin Carroll has a chance to do that right away. He's going to be called up. He's likely going to be hitting at the top of the order. I don't see why they wouldn't. It's hard it's hard to predict that exactly. Maybe they start him seventh or eighth or something, but there's no reason to. They're calling him up here to get him some experience and having him, you know, the more at-bats, the merrier, I think, at this point of the year for the Diamondbacks and for Corbin Carroll. Now, maybe they're trying to keep him under. I'm not sure. I'm not the most tuned in on those rules about, you know, certain number of at-bats and that you're no longer a rookie. Maybe they'll try and keep manipulating that for another year or whatever, but... I think at this point of the year, we have we have gone past those deadlines. Like you can pretty much start the guy every day, and you're not gonna you're not gonna surpass the requirements. You'll not lose a year of of uh, of team control over him. I don't think. Like I said, I'm not the the biggest expert on those, but I think that they'll pretty much just let him play at this point of the season, or else they would have just left him in AAA. So Corbin Carroll is an absolute must roster player in any format for me. Maybe if you're playing in an eight-team league, you don't want to take that chance, but, like, you could literally make the justified add of him in any format at this point. I'm all in. I've been waiting for a while now. I would go ahead and do it. The second most added-up player today might actually not benefit so much from Corbin Carroll coming up, and that's Jake McCarthy. Now, he has been absolutely on fire. He's batting 341 over the last month, over 420 over the last two weeks, nine steals over that last month as well. He's been excellent. I just worry that he may lose a little bit of playing time here to Corbin Carroll. They've already got Dalton Varshow, Alec Thomas, and McCarthy in the outfield there. Now, Varshow will catch some days, possibly, and Carson Kelly will take a seat, and they'll move things around with the DH slot. And uh, There will be <clears throat> playing time for, for both of them, I think. But this is something that will eat into McCarthy's current, pretty much everyday role. So... I'm not going to be jumping to go add McCarthy where I can. I think they're definitely going to prioritize Corbin Carroll over him. Uh, They're both, I mean, Carroll 31%, McCarthy 30% rostered. Carroll is certainly the priority. This is not up for debate. He is the priority add. McCarthy, I'm waiting and seeing, I think, here. I'm just not sold that he's going to continue to play every single day and continue to produce at the pace that he has. been. Nine steals over the course of a month is, is elite stuff. Batting 340 over that time is even more elite, I could argue. So can he keep this up? It's possible. I would really highly doubt it, and I don't think that he'll be prioritized here in the outfield. So will he still play? Yes. Will he still play every day? It's really hard to tell. I'm adding Carroll, and I'm mostly waiting here on Jake McCarthy. Let's talk about Nick Martinez here. He has gotten the last couple of save opportunities for the Padres, and he's converted them. Over the last month, he's thrown 13 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 13, and he's yet to allow a run in that span. I've been a fan of Nick Martinez since earlier in the year when he had some spot starts. He was, I don't know, I I added him up earlier in the year hoping that he might be able to hang on in that rotation. It didn't work out, but over the course of the season, his ERA is 3.07, a 1.29 whip, three wins, uh, six saves, decent enough strikeout numbers. He's been a serviceable member of that bullpen now. Will they give Josh Hader another chance at some point? I think it's likely. I think going into the playoffs, they're going to rather have Josh Hader closing games out than Nick Martinez. I, I still feel very strongly that Josh Hader is a top five relief pitcher in baseball, if not still the best relief pitcher in baseball. We've talked and I'll get into it more later on a little bit, but he's dealt with a lot of stuff this season outside of baseball that has affected him. I think they'll give him a bit of a break and then they'll get back into it probably in the last couple of weeks of the year they'll try and work Hayter back into the closer role because that's who you want in the postseason. You want the guy with the experience, the massive strikeout upside. I expect him to get the role at some point again. But Nick Martinez, Ford now, if you're really desperate for sh- saves in the short term, then I- I'm okay with an ad here. I just wouldn't I wouldn't expect it to last too, too long. You might get a week or two of save production. But for some of you, that might just be all you need at this point of the year. Dylan Bundy is being added up, and we're doing it again. He's had three good starts, so people are into adding him for whatever reason here. I just can't do it. I just cannot do it. Uh, He is still Dylan Bundy. If you look at these last three starts, they've been pretty good. Houston, Texas, and L.A., they've all been decent. The total strikeouts over his last 15 and a third is three. He has three strikeouts over his last 15 and a third innings. And this is Dylan Bundy we're talking about here. If he's not giving you even, like, decent strikeouts, then what the hell are we talking about? There's just no way I could be I could be talked into adding Dylan Bundy here. It's way too risky. Not somebody that I'm going to be too interested in. No, thank you. We're, we are going to be staying away there altogether. Brendan Donovan, he has also been added up, and he has been on a pretty st- uh, decent little roll here himself. Excuse me there. Over his last month, 21 for 57. He's got 11 runs and 5 RBIs. Now, the problem here is no home runs and no stolen bases, but he is batting second in that St. Louis lineup. He's eligible every single position of the infield first, second, third and short, and he's eligible in the outfield. So I don't mind having him as a bench guy and you can just fit him in there. When one of your regular dudes has a day off, is he going to give you massive production? No, but he's going to give you decent batting average with some good runs potential for RBIs and maybe a steal or two. So I'm okay with with Donovan. He's done it fairly consistently enough for me this season that I'd be all right with it. And right now, he's on a little bit of a heater. So all of those factors combined with probably the biggest one being he's batting second in a great lineup. I'm all in on an ad there for him. Let's talk about some drops here. There are a few interesting drops that we will talk about. So the first one, he's not the most dropped player, but let's talk about him first. It's Josh Hader. He got absolutely lit up for six runs yesterday by the Royals. And it's been an incredible fall from grace for him. His ERA for the season is at 652. 652 for Josh Hader in a 147 whip. Now, I would mentioned it when we were talking about Martinez. Hader has gone through a lot of shit this year. His wife had complications while she was pregnant, from what I believe. He had to miss a couple of different, uh, there was, I think, two separate time periods where he was away from the team. I think he was still with the Brewers for both of them. But there's a lot of scary shit going on with his kid, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but that's obviously enough to worry anybody and kind of put baseball into the background because that's obviously not the priority in that case. Hater is somebody who I personally have still not dropped from any of the teams that I have him on. I have him in two, two leagues. I have him in a 12-team points league, and I have him in a 10-team category league. Now, the 10-team league... I'm debating it. I'm really debating it, but I am far and ahead in first in that league. So I'm happy to just sit him on the bench and hope that for the last couple weeks of the season that he will get that closer roll back. I think that is the most likely outcome. Nick Martinez is fine. He's done a good job, but he's not going to be giving you that same level of production that Josh Hader would be when he's on. So once he gets right, which maybe it takes a week, maybe it takes two weeks, maybe it doesn't happen. But once he does get right, assuming it does happen... He'll get that closer role, and he'll be fine. The track record is there with Josh Hader. He's not cooked, as a lot of people will say. Josh Hader sucks. He's done, man. He's 28 years old. He's literally one of the more elite elite, relief pitchers that we have ever seen. And he might be the best left-handed reliever, literally, that we've seen. I I, certainly, in my lifetime, over these last 25 years, I don't think that there is a better left-handed relief pitcher. Maybe I'm blanking somewhere. Andrew Miller had a good couple-year run, but he's not Josh Hader, man. Like, we can't be just giving up on someone just because of a a rough stretch. It happens to the best of us, especially when you're talking about some serious, serious stuff with your kid and and your wife. I'm giving him a pass. Excuse me. I'm giving him a pass for now. Now, there are a lot of leagues where you cannot afford to give him a pass. Maybe you are in the playoffs this week. Your team is fringy to begin with. And you need everybody to be producing at the top of their abilities. Then maybe you switch out Hader and you go for an Alexis Diaz, a Nick Martinez, one of those types. But I just can't do it in good faith in a lot of cases because I, I just there's something inside. You just know that he's going to get another chance. He's Josh Hader. He has earned another chance, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's a month from now. He's going to get another save this season. If he doesn't end up with 30 saves this season, I would be absolutely stunned. And now that's only one more he has to get, but it's just, I think that he will get that closer roll back once he gets his head right. And a lot of people who will have dropped him at that point will be like, Jesus Christ, it's the last week of the season, and Josh Hader just saved four games. And I I could, that is, I think the likeliest outcome is Josh Hader turning it around and getting that closer roll back. So if you have to drop him, if this is the time where, you know, you are fighting for your life. You can't really afford him right now. He's not going to be getting high leverage stuff probably for a week or so. He might even just not pitch at all for a week or so. Maybe they just give him a bit of a rest because it's been terrible, no question. I just think at some point we will regret those drops if you do make them, and he will uh, once again uh, regain that closer role. So hold on if you can. I know it's tough for a lot of you. Some of you are probably rolling your eyes at me right now because it's been bad for a while. No doubt it's been bad for like a month. I just trust the overall track record as opposed to what is essentially boiled down to a few bad starts uh, this first half of the season. It's easy to forget, but he was literally like one of the best pitchers in baseball, regardless of starting or leaving. He didn't give up a run for his first, I think, close to 20 innings of the season. The guy is elite. He's gone through struggles. If you can try and be a little bit patient. That's what I would say. Sean Manaya, he has been dropped as well. He had a terrible game against the Royals himself, allowing his own six runs, 10 hits, and four innings. He's still somebody that I'm not really, for the most part, going to be dropping. Uh, I know it's been bad here for a good while. There's been some good starts mixed in. Now in a shallow, shallow league, maybe a 10-team league, uh, okay, Uh, Manaya, you can probably move on from him. But anything 12 and deeper, those strikeouts mixed with the chance, with a good chance of his team winning games a lot of nights, I'm not there. Uh, you cannot find a replacement pitcher in a lot of leagues who's going to give you the same level of production that Shamanaya does. If you're dropping him, you better have, like, a really solid staff around him, and that's just, you know, your one-week spot. Maybe then in that case, sure. Most people are not in that position. Most people deal with some hit-or-miss guys every single week that you roster that you're hoping for the best from. Like, for me, it's usually Alex Wood. He's a guy that I roster, I hope for the best from. I don't drop him even after bad starts because the potential is there. He can give you six, seven, eight shutout innings with nine strikeouts. So you kind of wait. And that's the same thing exactly that, I do, that I'm do. i doing with Shamanaya, if you still have him. I'm holding on. I don't think that it makes sense to be dropping him here. Nick Lodolo, he's also been dropped. He's another guy that is just blatantly disrespected by the fantasy community. He had a bit of a rough one earlier in the week at Philly. Granted, he did have like five no-hit innings, and then it was a bad sixth inning for him. Yesterday, it was three runs over seven innings with five strikeouts against Washington. For the season, he's got a 430 ERA and a 145 whip, which is probably enough to make most people say no, especially because he plays for the Reds. Over the last two weeks, 19 innings, got 18 Ks, a 326 ERA, and a 0.93 whip. Those strikeouts have really turned it around, uh, especially over these last month or so. And yes, there is going to be some starts mixed in there that are not great. But he makes for an ideal streamer. I mean, this last week, it was a two-step for him. He ended up giving you 12 and a third. He allowed uh, seven runs, which obviously not the greatest because of that, that one bad inning against Philadelphia. He was cruising for most of this week other than that one inning. But 12 and a third. He struck out 10. Wasn't able to give you any victories, unfortunately. But he was away from Cincinnati and both of those outings, away from Great American Ballpark. That's really a big reason for taking a shot on him. If he's pitching at home, a lot of the time it's not going to be worth it. But I'll take a chance on the road pretty much every single time out there. Uh, for me, Nick Lodolo should be on a lot more rosters than 31%. It feels, it feels really low. I feel like it's pretty disrespectful there. I'm, I'm still holding on um, in pretty much every single league. There's going to be some really shallow leagues perhaps where you've got to move on. I, I, would tr- I would try to hold on to Lodolo. He's got great strikeout upside here over these last few weeks. Away from Great American, he makes for a really interesting option. Let's now talk about a couple of two-start pitchers for this week that I find to be worthy of an ad now. A couple of these guys I've added up myself in my home league and a couple of public leagues that I'm in. Uh, I'm practicing what I preach here, especially in these last couple of weeks. Throughout the season, I'm not the biggest two-start pitching fiend. I know a lot of people are really looking for two three guys at the beginning of the week. You add them in for those volume stats. For the most part, I'm more of a pitching person I try and draft a lot of pitchers, and then I'll fill in hitters through Fab waiver wires, what have you. I'm typically not streaming in that many two-start guys. If there are, you know, if there's somebody that's really, really attractive, and I got a tough opponent, possibly. For the most part, I think throughout the season in all of my leagues, I've probably used ten or 12 2 two-start pitchers across all of them. It's not like a nothing number, but it's. I'm not so big on them. This time of year, however, you really need to secure those, uh, especially those counting stats, those wins and those strikeouts, and try and aim for guys who have great matchups, hopefully uh, avoid the blow-up factors. So there's a couple of guys that I'm going to get into. We'll start right now. Matt Manning, he has two starts this week. Projected, I guess I should I should say that first, too, here. Uh, I've written articles this year, 2 start pitching articles, one of the guys doesn't end up making the second start because of a pushback or a guy gets called up or whatever. So this section is more of a projected, hopeful two-start pitchers. They are in line for two starts right now, but I don't want to be getting people getting upset if they don't get their two starts. Because there was, a, there was one time I wrote an article with three, stu- three two-start pitchers and the second start for, I think, all three of them was on a Sunday. And I think two of them got pushed back to the Monday. One of them got hurt. It was just it was a disaster. And none of them ended up actually having the two starts. So, a lot of different variables go into factors, uh, go into factor into it there. But as of right now, these guys are starting twice, and they make for very interesting looks here in weekly, uh, weekly ad formats or just in daily changes as well. So Matt Manning, he is the first one. He gets Seattle and Kansas City. Those are really great matchups for him. Seattle is having a great season. Seattle is 70 and 58. They're almost certainly going to be going to the playoffs. But it's not really so much due to their bats. They're 22nd in runs, 25th in hits, 24th in batting average, 16th in on-base percentage, 18th in slugging. They're not such an elite offensive power. A lot of their good stuff comes from their pitching staff, where we know they have some really, truly elite options. I won't go into George Kirby, because I could go on an hour-long George Kirby tangent. You guys know that. The second start that he gets is against Kansas City. I don't even think I really need to tell you guys this, but Kansas City's offense is very, very poor. If there is ever a chance to stream against them, it's usually going to be worthwhile now, especially when you factor in the two starts and the way that Matt Manning has pitched so far this season. In 38 innings, yes, he only has one win because he pitches for the Tigers, but 31 strikeouts, a 237 ERA, and a 1.11 whip. Very solid stuff. Two starts here. I have personally added him up in a few different leagues. It's not without its risk. He's not a guy with a long track record of success or anything. But right now, he's pitching well. The matchups are good. I am happy, more than happy, to go ahead and add him. The second guy that I'm adding here is Cole Irvin. I've talked about Cole Irvin ad nauseum on the show. He's been one of my favorite players to roster throughout the season. And his two-step is one of the juicier ones you're going to see. It's Washington, and then it's Baltimore. Baltimore, obviously, yes. They're pretty good, but they're playing out of their minds. It's They will come back down to earth at some point. Now, Orioles fans will not be happy to hear that, but this is not the true quality of this team as currently constructed. It's just not. I'll still take that Cole Irvin two-step any day, especially when the first one is against Washington. Now, he's coming off of an 11-strikeout, seven-inning performance. That's not going to be something he does a lot, but can he still give you... Five, six innings with five or six strikeouts and win potential in both of those games? Absolutely. He's got a 3-1-6 ERA for the season, a 1-0-3 whip. He's consistently undervalued, Cole Irvin. I don't understand why. I think it's probably the low strikeouts. Maybe it's Oakland. But, I mean, playing for Oakland has its pros and cons. You get to start half of your games in that massive ballpark and really reduce your home run uh, risk and blow-up factor there. So Cole Irvin, for me, he's still under 50% rostered over on Yahoo, 49% rostered. There is no excuse for it. I would be going and adding him up. And I realize I didn't say uh, Matt Manning's percentage. I think it's 28 as of right now. Uh, I just closed it. Let me get it back for you real quick. 26% for Matt Manning. He's still available in a lot of leagues. Both of these guys are. And there's one more pitcher I, who is pretty widely available, who's got a couple of good matchups that I'm also going to be looking at here. It's Kyle Quantrill. And he's going to be getting Baltimore and then Seattle later in the week. We've talked about Baltimore. They're overperforming. Seattle, a lot of their greatness this season has come from their pitching staff. I'm all in on a Cal Quantrill two-step right now. He's up to 61% rostered because he's been actually pretty good recently over his last 32 innings, three wins, 23 strikeouts, a 2.25 ERA, and a .78 whip. He's done a lot for you. 10 wins on the season is pretty surprising. There are a lot of pitchers who are a lot better than Cal Quantrill who do not have 10 wins. But it's been one of those seasons for the Guardians. They've been one of the biggest surprises across all of baseball. I was not expecting really anything from them. And they've benefited from a pretty weak division. But they are leading 67-59. and 59. They are very likely to be going to the playoffs, I think. Now, who knows what will happen with the Twins and the White Sox. But they've been a very, very good team. And Cal Quantrill has been a big reason for that recently. So in a two-step here... I am all for an ad. Just to quickly recap, Matt Manning is who I'm going for, followed by Cole Irvin, and then uh, thirdly, it'll be Cal Quantrill. But I think all of them have a ton of value. I've added up each of these guys in different leagues of mine this morning. Cole Irvin in a couple. I already rostered him in a couple. I think I have shares of him in like 80% of my leagues at this point. I need the best out of Cole Irvin, but, I mean, especially the first start there against Washington. A lot of these matchups, they're they're really good. The pitchers have been mostly on rolls. All of them, really, they've been on rolls. So this is a fairly low-risk two-start segment for me. Usually there's a more volatile option where there's, you know, one start that's against Washington, but then you get the Dodgers later in the week or something like that. These are all really, really safe options. I would be all in on all three of them. If I could If I could add all three of them in all of my leagues right now, I think I probably would. There's a couple of leagues where I don't really need it, so maybe those ones wouldn't make so much sense. But they are worthy of, of ads anywhere this week playoffs or last week of the regular season or what have you, they're all going to have value this week. I'd be shocked if at at least two of the three of them don't turn out to be successful, but I think all three of them really have a good shot. Let's talk about my matchup of the night here before I let you guys go. It's Not the sexiest one. It's pretty decent here. Uh, It's Tony Gonsolin and Pablo Lopez. Like I said, there's like eight games taking place today, and there's really not a hell of a lot to choose from. I suppose you could go Clevenger and Rodon. I wouldn't fault you for going Clevenger and Rodon, but I'm going to go with Tony Gonsolin and Pablo Lopez here. I think there's a good narrative element to this as well. Tony Gonsolin, who's been hated on recently by Marlins Twitter because they're they're fighting for their boy for Cy Young for Sandy Alcantara, it's totally understandable. But I don't think that we should be slandering Gonsolin in the process. Like he's 16 and one with a 2.10 ERA and a .86 WHIP. That's what I was hoping for him last year. I added him a lot last year, hoping that we'd get this kind of production. And he was on and off kind of great at points last season, sneakily. I don't know if people even really will remember it. And if you look at his overall stat line from last year, it's not like he was so great. There were some starts where I was hoping that he'd give you something close to this. Now, granted, nobody would have ever foreseen that he would be a Cy Young candidate. That's, you know, of all the pitchers, of all the pitchers on the Dodgers, when you think about them at the start of the year, Bueller, Kershaw, I'm not sure where we stood with Trevor Bauer at the beginning of the year. I don't even know if he's still with the Dodgers, actually, at this point. But Tyler Anderson and Andrew Heaney, you would not have thought that Gonsolin would be maybe even in the rotation, but let alone being a Cy Young candidate. He gets the fish here. He'll be playing the team of the guy that he is directly in competition with at this point. So I think that there's a lot of intrigue there. And then on the other side, we have Pablo Lopez, who has been I don't know, maybe the most frequent question I've been getting recently is, is Pablo Lopez somebody that I should be dropping? And I have been advising, for the most part, no. A lot of people asked if they should have started him last week against Oakland, and my advice there was, if you're not going to start him against Oakland, then you should just cut him. He did well against Oakland there, so if you did keep him, it's likely you still have him. At this stage of the year, against the Dodgers, I'm probably not going to do it. Now, my typical philosophy is, you start everybody until about Wednesday, Thursday, unless you're looking at something really, really horrendous, like you got, like, I don't know, one of your guys is going into Dodger Stadium or something, or, you know, Houston, Yankee Stadium, then maybe you have an early week sit. But for the most part, I'm usually, like, Monday through Thursday, you start him, and then you deal with the repercussions later on if you need to stream, if you need to sit to make up for it after the fact. Here is really, I I can't make this decision for you, but I'm probably going to be sitting him down. Uh, It's not what I would usually do. But this point of the season, he struggled against the good teams recently. Against San Diego, I mean Atlanta, he was okay. But at the Mets, he really struggled. Uh, he's just it really been inconsistent now for the last, I guess, month or so, or even even longer. So I'm not dropping him yet. I think he can still give you a lot of value on when he's starting against like 27 of the teams in this league. But the Dodgers, I think it's just a little bit too risky for me here. I think this will be worth watching. But I don't know about starting uh, Lopez from a fantasy point of view. It, it might be a little bit iffy. If he had been performing better as of late, and it was earlier in the year still, then I would probably just say, yeah, go ahead and start him. It's hard to believe, but on May 30th, uh, his ERA was 1.83. So it's definitely been a downhill run here in the second half for Lopez. He's a lot better than what we've seen, though, recently. I'm not dropping him, but I am likely sitting him. This one should be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, if you are starting him and watching it at the same time, that might be a little bit too nerve-wracking. So maybe pick your poison there. If you're going to start him, maybe don't watch it. If you're going to sit him down, then maybe it's it's a, lot, uh, a bit easier to watch. I know watching my own starters is typically pretty uh, headache-inducing. But that will do it for me, guys. I'm sorry for rambling. Every now and then I'll go on these little rambling tangents. But if you listen regularly, you know that that's something I am prone to do. Check me out over on Twitter at joeorico 99 That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. All of my content is there. These podcasts are posted there every single weekday. My articles go out every single Sunday and then usually again on Monday. If you want to check out this week's article, it's at sportsethos.com. It should still be on the homepage, I think. Maybe it's gotten pushed off now. But I think it's probably still on the homepage. If not there, then go check out my Twitter account. It's going to be uh, the most recent tweet that I've sent out. It was uh, retweeting that article And that article was just talking about players that you can feel free to cut from most of your fantasy teams. Obviously, there's going to be some really deep formats where maybe this won't apply. But for the most part, uh, the four guys I wrote about yesterday can be universally cut from all of your teams. They range from about 50% rostered to even uh, one or two guys who are over 90% rostered. Or one guy in particular who is like 90-95% rostered still. And they've just been hurting your team essentially for the last little while. So these are guys that I'm cutting pretty much across the board. I do hope you guys check that one out. But if not, I hope you are following over on Twitter at Rico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, where all of our baseball stuff goes out from as well, the more centralized source of our uh, content as opposed to just personal Twitter accounts. That is the official Sports Ethos baseball Twitter account, EthosFantasyBB. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy the work that I do, please go ahead and check out uh, EthosFantasyBB, throw it a follow. Guys, that is going to do it for us today. We will see you back here again tomorrow. I wish everybody the best of luck in their matchups because this is important now. We are in playoff season for a lot of you. Best of luck. Cheers, guys. All the best.